Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, hello there, and welcome to another Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and I'm so thrilled that you're here to join us today. Oh my gosh, we've got a great show. Today we are going on a new mission to a place that many of us have never been or experienced. Our guide today is an entrepreneur. She's an author, speaker, visionary, life strategist, and minister. Sharon Jamison has been teaching people principles of love and self-empowerment for more than 25 years. Her career journey has taken her from owning a fitness studio to managing a multi-million dollar accounts for an international biotech firm. And today, as CEO of the Jamison Group, she offers leadership training and development while specializing in personal transformation and relational healing. She is the author of four books, I can depend on me. I've learned a few things. The strength of my soul and deciding to soar 180 lessons to catapult your life. She also has three more in the in the works. Sharon is, serves as a minister at the Victory for the World Church in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And she holds a BA in journalism from Hampton University, an MBA from Nova Southeastern University. And she is currently pursuing her Master's of Divinity at the Interdenominational Center in Atlanta, Georgia. I think... Earlier today, I called Sharon a triple threat, beauty, brains, and boldness. And on that note, let's welcome her to Mission Unstoppable. Welcome. Hi there. I'm so excited to be here with you, Frankie. So thank you so much for for letting me come and share today. Oh my gosh, I'm excited and I can just feel like this energy and this enthusiasm in the room right now. I want to honor your journey to becoming unstoppable. I think people look at you and go, wow, she's stunning. She's smart. She's not afraid to speak her mind. This is a woman who has it all together. I could never be like her. Now, if only they knew where you came from, if only they knew what, you know, that you were them in the beginning, like, do you find that folks are, are astounded when you tell them your story? Yes, you know, it's, they are. And sometimes they they cannot even um, believe it. And I, But I make them believe it because I, I, I hate when people put us on pedestals mm-hmm. and think that they don't have the same power and the same uh, ability that we are. But yes, my story is something that I think that when if more women tell the story, that people will, will, will be able to see themselves. Because people are never impressed by your, your success. People connect on your failures and your flaws. And so I, 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 my, my journey, my desire is not to impress people, but to impact them. And so I have to share those, those broken parts of me that are still in the process of healing. Wow, that's a really profound thing to say. And I think you're, you're, it's true. Um, success seems so far away, just like weight loss does to people who are 500 pounds. I mean, it's all so vague in the future, a maybe. But when you share with them that, you know, you lived in their neighborhood or you had, 
you know, the same life experiences um, or that you're healing from the same kinds of things that they are, then yes, they, they identify, they can identify with you and, and feel like, oh, wow, maybe I do have, you know, something in common with this person. Um, no one is born successful like, like that. I mean, we all, I think that life chips away at us and it massages and molds those edges and hard places. And, and, you know, it's up to our mind or inner self really to, to bring us to where we want to be. How, how do you agree with that? Like, how do you, how did you get your mind to bring you where you wanted to be or your thinking? Oh God, pain. <laughs> yeah. That's a way. Pain is a great teacher mm-hmm. if, if you're willing to learn. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think I had to hit rock bottom, um, emotionally hit rock bottom, physically hit rock bottom because I've had some significant health issues. Spiritually, I had to uh, hit rock bottom. And I think that at, at the bottom, that's where I, I was able to hear God because you, you, you don't even have enough going on for you that your ego gets to have a voice. You know what I'm saying? So, so when you know that, there's, that you're looking up to the curb, and feel that you're in that pit. Pain really makes you decide how you want to to live. Do you want to stay here in this pathology, or do you want to move towards your purpose? But yes, I think that 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 our pain and our adversity shapes us and encourages us. I love when my pastor talks about this. He says that no lessons are learned at the uh, at the College of Comfort. Lessons are only learned at the University of Adversity. Oh, I like that. That at the University of Adversity, that I was able to start healing but i had to make healing a choice because for for years it wasn't a choice because i felt powerless so i think that's what people need to understand is that that you have to know your power and grab on your power and and that takes time i think our friend kathy craffy might be listening and if she is i know she's writing down those words of wisdom (laughs) (laughs) share them with us all later kathy please um i i was very fortunate to to receive, you know, your, your chapter in a book that we were, that we're co-writing together. And can I just share a little bit of that? Can I just share a a paragraph? Is that okay? Because when I read this, I literally sat down and cried and I thought, wow, like this is so profound. And how does she, how does she come from here and be where she is today? And so it really is um, very impressive. Sharon wrote, what was difficult was dealing with racism and other forms of oppression that assaulted my soul and stripped me of my ability to love myself. What was painful was being groomed in an environment that taught me that I, a little black girl, was worthless, dirty, ignorant, and not deserving of love. Living in a society that was polluted with discrimination, bias, and prejudice convinced me that I was nothing, and sometimes I was convinced that I was less than nothing. I hated me, and I hated others who, like me, um, I was convinced that my life did not matter and that my birth was a mistake. Wow. Yeah. Heavy words. Yeah. And and, and it's almost just hearing it makes me want to cry too, because um, it's still real. And sometimes when I'm at very vulnerable places in my life, those messages come up that I'm not enough. Or who do I think I am? And who's going to listen to me? Because I still feel as though sometimes I'm that little powerless um, black girl who is not accepted or not loved or whatever. So, so we always have to be mindful that we are a collection of our experiences. And mm-hmm. I think that's important because if not, we won't be able to turn our inner critic into our inner coach. But what I do now, when a demons talk to me, I talk back to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that you have to, you have to, your coach has to 
your inner coach has to be strong enough because I think many times we think that we have not accomplished something. But when I hear something like, oh, Sharon, they're not going to listen to you. I have to remind myself, Sharon, you know what? People have been listening to you all of your life. Mm -hmm. So I coach myself through that mm -hmm. and um, through every experience. But it always creeps up. Every time I try something new, those gremlins that remind me of my nothingness, of my powerlessness, remind me of that I'm ugly and stupid and fat and all those types of things. And I have to always challenge them with the truth. And um, how, how old, how, where did that little girl, where, what age was she when, when she felt all of that? Um, probably from the kindergarten to the eighth grade, because okay. um, when I was integrating the schools, it, it, one experience kept um, compounding the other. So there was very few places that were providing me with different messages to negate and neutralize those painful messages. And um, where were you I, living there? Missouri. Then? Yes. I was in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, in St. And Louis. I, yeah. Then we moved to Sykes. And my father was a minister, so we moved around a lot. And then uh, when I was in the seventh grade, we moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And that's where my healing started, Frankie, because I went there and they were, everybody was a whole bunch of different colors. <laughs> you know yes. Yes. And, you know, it was black. There was brown. There was Native American. There was Mexican. And my father, we always had a multiracial church. And so um, that's where my healing started because I didn't feel so isolated and uh, alienated. Because the challenge is, is that not only did you I feel racism, but I also felt it against black people didn't like me either because I was a smart kid. I was so so I never felt accepted from both sides. I was I'm going to tell you something. I went to university in St. Louis and I came to I went there from Canada from my home in Canada. And it was the first time in my life I had really ever felt racism ever, wow. ever. It was like an evil place. It really was. And my roommate, um, I went to a, a theater arts college and I was in journalism and, and my roommate was um, a black girl and we were going to move out into a house and, and uh, we'd found this great house and, and the landlord looked at me, he goes, uh, yeah, he goes, uh, the rent's like 400 bucks. I'm like, fantastic, cheap, you know? And then he goes, is she going to live with you? And I go, yeah, because it's a thousand. And I'm wow. like, what? I'm like, yeah. what? And yeah. she, she would say to me, I can't bring you home, Frankie. My, my, you'd get killed. Like she lived in East yeah. St. Louis. You'd get killed. And it was literally like block, white, block, black, block, white, block, black. And you couldn't walk around the city. It was horrible. And, it, and I, I came home. I go, oh, my God, I can't wait to leave this place. It's just <laughs> horrific. Yeah. So yeah. you were feeling all that stuff there because he as an outsider felt it, you know, and I wasn't even in the culture. So it was crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah, I have to say, even though it was challenging, there were always angels in my life that came and stood in their power and helped me start understanding my own power. So I'm so grateful. I always had teachers that were just really challenged the status quo. So even in the midst of that pain, there were, I did get some voices um, from people that told me that I was okay, that I was enough. And I'm so grateful. Oh, thank yeah. goodness. Yeah. So I, I did have angels all my life. So I, I'm really happy about that. Well, it's, it's really important when, you know, you're getting those messages as a child, and those things are going into your subconscious and that you're believing them because the subconscious, as we know, it has no right or wrong. It doesn't have, doesn't know. It just knows what you input. And so, you know, I guess the first step to healing was to ask yourself, do I believe this? Do I believe that message? And you talk, I call them the members of the board. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> you, yeah. Talk to the members of the board. Let's see what they have to say. And they have a lot to say all the time. <laughs> all the time. And, and, and the thing is, I think that 
um, they are always the members of the boards will believe what you tell them. So, mm-hmm. And that's why I have to talk back to my demons. I have to re- remind them that of who I am. And sometimes I think that we have to remind people in our in our spirits, but also around us who, who, who we are. That's a really good message. We're going to go to commercial break. But one thing to think about as as we head out there is that no matter how successful you you are, no matter how, you know, how much you feel you you're you've arrived, that you always have to be challenging yourself to remember that you're okay, that you're good enough, that that these things, you know, aren't going to uh, take over anymore. It's it's a powerful lesson. We'll be right back with Sharon Jamison. Don't go anywhere. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. emergency room nurse will tell you they receive some weird and wild calls. I used to be the night ER nurse at Hennepin County General Hospital in Minneapolis and remember getting a call from someone who was worried about if it mattered or not if their belly button was an innie or an outie. It doesn't matter, but if you're an outie, you are definitely the minority. Still, that's good news because you don't have to worry about a little problem that people with innies have. Pledge it. That's another word for belly button lint. Researchers say the color of the pledget in your belly button is related to the clothing you wear, just like the lint that collects in your clothes dryer. A friend of mine from the Philippines says they call it a chikachu. What do you call a person who's obsessed with their belly button? An omphalopsikite. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. talk to yourself out loud it's nothing to be embarrassed about henry david thoreau once said thinking is only the process of talking to yourself otherwise known as autolalia einstein said that talking to yourself is a sign of intelligence studies show students who talk to themselves in school do better and adult studies show that talking to yourself actually improves your memory boosting your brain power Talking to yourself can help you avoid being a Kitchenheimer. You know, when you walk into the kitchen and forget what you are going to do? What's a word for the tendency to forget why one has gone somewhere? Destinasia. One advantage of talking to yourself is, at least you know someone is listening. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Word. And we're back. It's Mission Unstoppable Radio. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso. And my guest today is Sharon Jamison. Before we went on our break, you know, we were talking to Sharon about the members of the board and about how her socialization process left her feeling like she wasn't unloved and she was, you know, a nothing, less than nothing at times. And yet she grew up. And today she provides strategies on how to heal past hurts, how to overcome self-limiting beliefs, how to develop emotional resilience, how to increase personal and professional effectiveness. This is what her, she does today. And and yet, you know, she could have stayed in her victim mode and went, life, you know, life sucks. Look what it did to me. Or she elevated herself. She created her SOAR program. And here she is. Like, look at you. So, you know, where where did the change come for you? I, I think. The change came for me when I hit rock bottom 
I, by this time. What did uh, that look like, rock bottom? Oh, yes. I had a bad eating disorder that I would gain 50 pounds in the summer. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that I would uh, anesthetize myself with food. Mm-hmm. That I kept picking bad relationships to to confirm my worthlessness. Mm-hmm. That um, I left the church um, and because I felt like the church was not honoring who I was or what I wanted to be. That I just drifted. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I kept drifting and drifting until the point I had to get into therapy. I, I had bad depression. I couldn't get out of bed. And, and, and it was hard to convince myself to go to, to get support because I was functioning. I was, was this before you went to university, Sharon? Sorry, oh, is this before? Oh, no, it's after. Well, after, how did okay. I get through high school? High school was, I don't even remember high school. What I did, I became an overperformer. Mm. And I, you know, excelled. But I don't even remember high school. I just remember getting good grades. I, I, I kind of checked out of my body mm-hmm. uh, and started that whole um, experience with food that lasted for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and because that was become became a way of medicating. And then when I went to college, I started at Arizona State, left there without thinking, gave up a full scholarship. Wow. Uh, went to Hampton, hated that. And work full time, went to school full time. Um, was just I was just floundering because I could not find myself, and I didn't know myself, and I didn't know how to make myself love myself. So I was just whatever something that I thought would take away the pain, I would jump to it. <laughs> I had no strategy, no planning, and um, and so when I find, finished college, I just knew I had to do something different because I was no longer functioning. Mm-hmm. I was so sad. I didn't have a lot of friends. And on the outside, people would have never known that I started being suicidal. The pain wow. got too great. And um, so after I uh, got into corporate America and started uh, feeling that same racism that I had experienced growing up and feeling like I was not enough, I started going to therapy. And wow. I had to leave my church to go to therapy because my my church um, at that time in the African-American tradition that at that time if you would if you needed a therapist it meant that you didn't believe god so I oh had my gosh with all of these these spiritual feelings of oh my god i i know i need help but it's not that i don't love god so i had to leave the church because i could not coexist with needing therapy and then i started feeling that god didn't love me because i started uh had inculcated those messages that I could not go to therapy and go into therapy, meaning that I meant to me that I was neutralized or negating my relationship with God. Just psychological mess. Well, let, let's talk. Let's stop there for one moment because you came from, you know, we're all a product of our parents at some point, uh, and at some point we we pull up our bootstraps and we go, okay, enough of that. I'm going to, you know, head off, and which is I think what you did because if we look at your your parents, you had young parents. Yes. Your mm-hmm. father came from a family of alcoholics. And he himself, you know, overcame that. But your mother also came from a, a family, let's call them religious fanatics, yes. who, 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 you know, who, who believed everything was a sin in their life. And so, you know, if, to, if anything that you did to have pleasure, watch a movie, do anything crazy like that, you know, listen to a record like, oh, my God, you're a sinner. So, so, you know, those two coming together, uh, very, uh, abstract you know yeah. uh, at odds with one another but for sure like how did that did, did that your dad was a preacher but your mother's like you know big time um how did did that have any effect in that decision where you went you know what i'm leaving like th- these people are nuts like this church is nuts 
Yes, it, it did because I, I I started in that space of my unraveling, I peeling away the onions, and then I realized, Frankie, that I didn't believe God like they believe God. God mm-hmm. was not a he. God was not a she. Sometimes God was God. All of us, I I started started separating religiosity from spirituality, mm-hmm. and so I I had, but that was part of my healing. So I healed spiritually by understanding who I said God was to me. I healed physically when I started being able to control my food and and not uh, and stop uh, excessive exercise because that's how I would medicate myself. I started to heal emotionally when I went to therapy and, and started understanding the impact of bullying and and how to wow. manage those emotions. Um, I started uh, had to heal mentally. Because you'd be surprised that of all the messages that we have in our heads that we don't even realize until they're triggered. Yeah. And, and then I had to leave a lot of friends because my friends, I had, was playing small in my life. And a, a lot of people benefited and exploited my insecurity and my sense of belonging. So I had to leave, sure. leave all of my friends. And so yeah. it was a total transformation. Total I had transformation. to total cleanse myself in that in. And I and I stepped out all by myself. I didn't speak to my family after I got married for about six years. Wow. And I had to leave everything because I had to understand and create a different identity that was not grounded in victimization. Right. I had to understand a whole understanding of God that was not grounded in what I had learned at church. I had to understand who Sharon was, not uh, molded or, or warped by racism and sexism yeah. because that made me feel helpless. So I had I'd left everybody and you had a you 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 trekked Mount Everest of yeah. Sharon. Yeah. I, how I, many I, how many therapists did you see? Like did, oh, did you find gosh. one or did you that, keep finding one until you found the right one? Uh, uh, let me tell that's Frankie, can I tell you that is Please. the place? I probably I probably went through maybe a three or four um therapists because I had to find someone who got me. It was yeah. difficult to find a person who got the the black experience. Mm-hmm. Who understood sexism on top of that, who, who understood an eating disorder, yeah. who understood um, spirituality and religion. Oh my gosh. Who understood that the whole uh, impact of bullying and who understood that um, I wanted to be different. So I w- wanted to break all those molds and who also understood that even though I hated church, I still wanted to be a minister in the midst of all of that. Right. And, right. and people wanted to. And did this <laughs> mythical creature exist? Right. They didn't, want, they didn't want to embrace all of who I was. And mm-hmm. so and and so it was very difficult to have someone to get me. To, mm-hmm. And then I married a Muslim. Oh, my gosh. So that was kind of difficult. So people were like, wait a minute, who is this person? But what I was understanding, I was trying to find who I was. Yeah. And, and, and either people got the professional me, but not the spiritual me, or the eating disorder, but not the bullying. A lot of people could not put all those pieces of the puzzle, but I, I needed someone who could help me be whole and who had a holistic approach. And because I was full of holes already, yeah, so I, I wanted someone who can, who can, who I trusted to. And I didn't. And it took me a while to trust someone because I never felt that everybody got all those different pieces. But when I found her, it was wonderful, and I stayed with her for a while. It's important to talk about because, you know, people are afraid to reach out for help. And sometimes, you know, you reach out and it's not right the first time or the second time. And that's okay. You know, like you find like you find your way through that and you go, no, you didn't get me. I got to move on instead of thinking, oh, there's nobody. There's nobody. You could have thought, oh, nobody's going to ever get me. Right. 
but you persevered until you found the right one. And, you know, so kudos to you for doing that. And I think it's an important message to anybody who, who needs help. Because ther- therapy is not, you know, mental health and therapy, they're, they're not things to feel um, bad about yourself. That's, you know, I, I give people credit for finding the help they need. I think that's so important. I love that you say that. And I under and I want people to understand that sometimes a therapist is not what you need. Maybe you need a coach. Maybe you need someone mm-hmm. to walk through that journey. Maybe you need a psychiatrist and so need someone who can write prescriptions. I think there's so many different ways that we need help. And um, I, I think that we, we villainize parts of it. Because some people would say, oh, I don't mind going to a therapist, but I don't want to take medicine. Well, so what? Right. You know, right. whatever you need to be whole, do it. And if and some people don't do well in group therapy and some people blossom in group therapy. I think it's just so important to be open to however healing shows up. And that's my goal to what I talk to my clients. However it shows up. So I don't feel bad when they say, Sharon, I, I need to move on. I think that's healthy to hear your voice and hear their own voice and, they, and to uh, really honor their own desires and their own needs. So therapy was wonderful. Awesome. awesome. I mean, it's, all, it's, all, it's like you do parts therapy, you know, and you heal this part and that part and all these different parts. And eventually, you know, you put them all back together and you have Sharon. So did it happen <laughs> like that for you? Did it? Did, was there an awakening of one part? And you go, oh, I feel healed there. Yeah, I can move on. Or was it all like the puzzle all came together at once? It was it was in part. I love that you said that. That was my experience. I had to get the spiritual part first because I had to feel that I was still that God still loved me. That was hard for me. Um, so I got the God still loved me. And I also got the part that God is not a, a blind man with blue eyes. So I yeah. that, you know, so then after I did that and said, God can be a woman, you know, so I yeah. did the second exactly. part was the emotional part. But however, the, the spiritual part was the hardest because I felt like I was betraying my faith mm. by getting therapy. And so then I got the emotional part. And then after I got the emotional part, started that healing, then I started seeing the healing connected to the food. And then I was able to do the physical part. And then I started able, being able to address some of the, the, the physical part problems that I caused because of that. I mean, I did a lot of damage to my GI system with mm-hmm. my eating disorder uh, that I'm still suffering from now. Uh, but I didn't wow. realize that. So all of those pieces went together, but it started spiritually for me because I had to understand that I was not unlovable and that God was going to kick me out the kingdom out of, out of the kingdom to, uh, because I... I chose therapy and that was the, the hardest part, but the most fulfilling part. When I got that part, everything else was fine. How sad, really. You know, not that I'm happy that you got healed, but how sad to have a feeling that God wouldn't love you because you, you needed therapy, you needed help. You know, and I have to think that God gave us therapists so that we could have help. God gave us a brain so we could choose to have somebody <laughs> who was a therapist to give us help. I mean, that's how I look at that stuff. Not like, you know, if he didn't want you to be healed, he wouldn't have given you a mind and, and a way to figure that all out. So <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. You know, but that does me. Anyway, we are going to go to another commercial break in just a moment and we are going to come back with more Sharon Jameson. She's absolutely fantastic. If you want to give us a call, you know, feel free to do so. Uh, I'm going to try to ramble off this number. (laughs) 903-787-5887 will get you to our show. You can ask her things yourself. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. Stop. 
development need larger parking spaces? The owners of the Togla Rest Stop in southeastern China think so. They have created a number of parking spaces that are 50% larger, designated for female drivers, with the international symbol for women and outlined in pink. When asked by a Chinese newspaper why they felt the need to enlarge the parking spaces for women drivers, a lot manager explained that they observed female drivers having a difficult time parking, which slowed down the order of traffic. I admit I'm a bit of a baby bummel or bungler when it comes to parking, but is this really necessary? Actually, I was complimented on my parking the other day. Someone left a note that said, "Parking fine." I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. If you're like me, every year you wonder how you're going to dispose of your live Christmas tree. In the desert climate around Reno, Nevada, Christmas trees that are left outside won't decompose. They will just get drier and drier, eventually becoming a serious fire hazard. Vince Thomas, the founder of Goat Grazers, a goat herding business, is now using his 40 goats to help recycle Christmas trees. Hey, I'm not kidding. We all know goats are known to eat just about anything. Thomas used dendrology, or the study of trees, to discover the trees are a natural dewormer for goats, and the pine is very high in vitamin C, so it's healthy for them as well. What's a word for the pine needles that fall off a Christmas tree? Diddle dees. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and for more words you never heard, check out my podcast at wordsyouneverheard.com. It's Tuesday. It must be Mission Unstoppable Live time, and it is. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso. My guest today is Sharon Jamison. Isn't she unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, she's come back from you know starting out where she felt unloved, just you know, just un un, and and here she is, this amazing, bold, beautiful, brave woman. I just love it.、Um, Sharon has some things that I like to call Sharonisms. <laughs> you all heard me talk about my Frankieisms. Well, she has those too. <laughs> and and I'm gonna I'm gonna say、uh, the first one that comes to my mind.、Um, I like this. When people are trying to remind you of your past, turn away. Some comments don't deserve you or your time. Look toward heaven. Yes, yes. I think that's so 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 important. I have learned in my life that everything doesn't deserve you. Mm-hmm. And if something that deserves me has to be edifying, it has to 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 be、uh, elevating, and and I think we got to be careful because we we give our time and attention to 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 things and to people and to places that don't serve our our good, they don't sustain us or support us. So I think that we got to be careful and re- recognize that we're valuable. We are queens and kings. And some things are are just below us and beneath us, and we have to be okay to step away and to step up. So when you say that, when people are trying to remind you of your past, like it might be somebody that that has gotten past their alcoholism or gotten past their、um, their demons, and so we well you used to do that, you know that was you. Don't think you're so far above that. Yes, and 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 what I realize is that people talk out of their pain. So、mm-hmm. I have learned that not that when people are judging me, they're judging me from a place of 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 
uh, of pain in their themselves. Right. So, that mirror. Uh, yeah, that mirror. So I, I recognize it, but I also recognize that my spirit is so is has has been battered, and mm-hmm. to subject myself to that type of pain is no different than um to than subjecting someone who's going to make me a battered woman. If I won't right. let somebody hit me with their hands, I'm not going to let you hit me with my with your words. Right. Um, right. That's really we do weird. enough of that inside our head. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I got a full-time job controlling me. <laughs> exactly. Me too. Me too. Oh, my God. We're brutal. Um, I love this one. Truth given in love is received. Truth not given in love is resisted. So how can somebody, and, and you know, it's easy to say and understand, but hard to do. So let's think of a scenario where truth given in love would be received, but yeah. not resisted. I think that in our closest friendships, our, our closest relationships, those are the ones that we have to to give truth to most of the time. Mm-hmm. And because I don't think any of us become self-aware by ourselves. And I believe if you love someone, you can love them just as they are, but you should love them too much to leave them as they are. Right. That means that you have to talk and you have to speak to them. And And I think the way that you speak with people in love is one, to show your scars. I feel like when I show you my scars and you show you your scars and that I have demonstrated that I care about you and love you and I want your best for you, I think that you we give more we give people more leeway to tell us the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and I think that that's so important. I think that you have to tell people when they are not living up to their own potential. I think you have to tell people that they are not doing what they said they wanted to do. That because mm-hmm. I think that love requires accountability. And if you're my friend and you're not going to help me be accountable to what I say that it's important to me, you're really not my friend because you would never allow me to slip down into mediocrity or or lose momentum if you really love me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I I don't have friends in my life. Like I said, I tell my friends, I don't have straight people in my life. If you're in my life, you have a purpose. And if you're not self, uh, fulfilling your purpose, I'll put you on a bench and go get another friend. I really, I'm really careful about people being purposeful, but I'm also equally as purposeful in somebody else's life. I'm not a friend that you, that, uh, but it, I'm talking about my inner circle. Now. Sure. Yeah. My inner circle. If, if you're not doing your job and helping me be my best by giving me feedback, um, you can't be in my life. That's why I don't like my close friends can't be people without competence or confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you have to have some intellectual horsepower to be my inner circle. I need help. And if you, I love you that intellectual that, horsepower. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have that. How can you be my friend? Yeah. How can you add value to me if you don't have enough gumption and enough self confidence to, to help me be my best self? Why are right. you my friend? And that's how I feel about it. Yeah, because, you know, you're going to attract a lot of people in your life that are looking for that leg up, that are looking for you to do that horsepower for them. And it's very easy to be attracted to and and, and it's almost like um, sexy and and it, like you're a mockingjay, that glitter that, that they look for um, because, it, it, you know, it's very desirous to be like that. But you're, you're putting these people, you're making them accountable for being your friend. You're, you know, you got to have that intellectual horsepower if you want to be my friend. you got to be, you know, right next to me on my level if you want to be my friend. You've got to be doing the same work I'm doing if you want to be my friend. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I always say this, and, I, and that's why I, don't, I think that we do better with fewer friends because we're a limited resource. Yes. I'd mm-hmm. rather have four quarters than 100 pennies. That's how I feel about my friends. Yes. I would have four good quarters or really two half a dollars than a hundred pennies. 
Yeah. Um, and so I'm really very careful about friend selection, but I'm also very clear uh, when I go into friendships with people, uh, sitting down and talk about expectations of my need, of needs. I always ask people who are close to me, the first question I ask when I bring them into my inner circle, how can I win at loving you? How can I win at loving you? And I want to make sure that I know, know what they need. So I give them what they need versus what I want to give them. Mm-hmm. And, those, and that's really important. If I cannot, I want to win. If not, I don't bring you into in my space. And I want you to win at loving me. Right. So I'm going to tell you what I want and what I need. And I think that that those are healthy. That's the hardest thing for people to talk about is what they need. Yeah. Like truthfully to tell you what they need. I think you know, hard. I think it's hard. But I think that as I get older, I realize I don't want people practicing on me. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I, yes. I don't want all that. Don't I don't I don't want you to guess. I I know the manual on Sharon, so let me let, let me yeah. help you the manual. Be, and because if not, people will give you stuff and then they get their feelings hurt. It's like mm-hmm. this, if I say I want chocolate, I don't care how much vanilla you gave me. I want right. chocolate. Right. And, I, and so why I'm not going to walk around frustrated or resentful or bitter. I'm just saying this if you can't do it, it's fine. I'm not mad. You can always say no, and I'm always open to uh, negotiating. But what I want to do is to have a friend who who is not allowing me to 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 uh, serve a purpose in their life and the person's not being purposeful in mine. I, I just don't have time for that. When I was thirties and forties, maybe, but fifties, we have limited time. So now exactly. it's time for me to do all and be all and to say all. I want to leave a legacy of 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 for my family and for others, I want to leave a legacy for women of what it means to love themselves and to walk in their feminine power. And I can't do that if I have to take all my energy instead of creating something. I'm managing a bad relationship. Exactly. That's what people need to understand. Bad relationships are draining. Amen. <laughs> you know, I, I find as a coach, though, like in all of my relationships, whether they're friends or romantic relationships or whatever, there's that neon sign that's above your head. I'll help you. Come here. I will help you. And it's hard to turn it off sometimes. And and so people are attracted to that, to that, because that that, that personage that wants to help all the time is, is always open and ready to listen. Being a coach is not what you chose to do. It's who you are. And, and so people think it's very easy just to, you know, sidle up and go, Hey, let me tell you my story. And they do, but it doesn't mean I want to hear your story all the time. Yeah. I have a story too. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to help me with mine. Right. Like yeah, oh that's my how it goes. Yeah, Frankie, I, I'm laughing because not only as a coach, but people always think I want to pray for them. I'm looking like, listen, I pray for you in the morning. I pray for you on Sunday. Don't call me all during the week because yes. I'm off duty. <laughs> off duty. The sign is off. Turn it off. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You, you. Here's another one. Uh, when you get full of anger, bitterness, doubt, insecurity, hatred, unforgiveness, self-loathing, pride, pathology, dysfunction, drugs, alcohol, and the list goes on, you limit, reduce, minimize, and marginalize yourself. Be careful. Yes. I believe that when we get doped up, we dumb ourselves down. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and I think that we get, there's a lot of ways that we get doped up that I don't think people realize. People always think about drugs and alcohol, but we can get doped up on our ego, our pride. We can get doped up on, on people pleasing. And anytime uh, we get so full of something, we fail. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be very careful about what, how we are dumbing ourselves down or how we are do- doping ourselves up with things that don't serve us. Um, and, 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 uh, so I'm really careful about 
in my life and with my clients and ask them, listen, you doped up on fear. You doped up on self-pity. You doped up on your own story of limitations. Something is always doping us up that, that makes us dumb down to our own strength, our own power, our own presence, our own sense of self. And I think it's important that people are able to identify their own dope because we all have it. We just yeah. got to know what it is and, and, and call it because I think that confession is good. And I think that if we can, what we will fess up to, we can fix it. So I think that's really, really critical. You've got um, some, some transformative messages that you give in sessions and, you know, you've got leadership in you. We really aren't that different foundation for elevation and communication that inspires. Let's, I want to go to the foundation for elevation for a moment, because I think it could be central to your SOAR program. Yes. The foundation for ele- uh, elevation is all about making sure we have the, the internal infrastructure for success and abundance. I think that sometimes people, they, they, they start building on the outside, but if you don't have the structure and the self-confidence on the inside, what, you have nothing to build your character on. You have nothing to build your, your tenacity on. You have nothing to build your internal fortitude on. So right. I, I think in our internal structure is what, what allows us to grow and to build and to elevate. And I, I think we, we spend so much time on our education, but we don't spend time on uh, preparing ourselves. I tell my clients all the time, it's, a, it's so challenging for me because people will spend so much money on their appearance. And mm-hmm. I don't care how they look on the outside. If your head is cloudy and your heart is dirty, it doesn't matter. Right. Right. No, I agree with that. And, you know, you can have all the trappings, but, you know, the flood can come and and make it all float away and you're left there naked. And then what do you, you know, how are you going to retrieve all of it? And that's the inner game. That's the fortitude inside. That's that unstoppable person who gets up and says, okay, you know, I'm not done yet. Oh my God. I love that. I always tell people you can have trappings, but still be trapped. Yes. um, Yes. And and, and that being that trap is what I, I think is so hard. For people like you and I, when we're working with our clients, is to get them untrapped. Because I don't care what you have. It's, 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 on the outside, it's what you have on the inside that's going to sustain you. Absolutely. We're going to go to another commercial break. I can't believe it. But I love that. Um, you can have trapping. You can you can be have trappings and still be trapped. That, yes. That's that's very powerful. Very yes. powerful. Yeah. And, you know, you have to listen to Sharon here because it is all about your inner person. She did a lot of work on her inner person to get to where she is. I did too. You want to be unstoppable? Uh, There's work to be done, but you can get there. Here we go. We're going to be right back. Don't go anywhere. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. make gladden girls but they seem to burden guys that's what a recent study by live science says women respond with happy gratitude when they receive a present but when a man unwraps a gift he immediately feels a sense of obligation to the giver even those women who really don't like getting presents are pretty good at faking a smile what do you call a person who fakes a smile an exodesiast according to psychologists men tend to keep mental notes of what they got from whom and check it against their own generosity. Women, on the other hand, take gift-giving much less seriously. I guess ever since Eve gave Adam the apple, there's been trouble between sexes about gifts. Have you ever unwrapped a G-Food jet? 
That's another name for any gift you'd just rather put in the garbage. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Whether you are a man, woman, boy, or girl, lifting weights is an important component to your exercise program. Livestrong says that challenging your body with different exercises and routines helps keep your workout interesting and effective. Make sure that when you're lifting weights, you are working to fatigue or failure to get the most benefits. When lifting weights, reaching failure means that you could not possibly do one more rep. Your muscle has failed. Fatigue means you can barely do one or two more repetitions and keep your good form. If your workout is too easy, and you're not reaching failure or fatigue, it's time to lift heavier weights. Be aware that your form is vital, and reaching fatigue or failure is much more important than hitting a certain number of repetitions. I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Well, it is Mission Unstoppable. We're at the last leg of our journey here with our guide, Sharon Jamison. I'm sure you fell in love with her over the last 45 minutes or so. So why don't you go to her website, www.sharonjamison.com, and you can find out more about what she does and all the programs that she offers. Uh, Yeah, I mean, she's got those four books. She's got another three coming out. You can't lose. You cannot lose with this lady. (laughs) So... (laughs) I was I was on Facebook and and you posted I I loved it she's on her she's on her like her bike and she's like and another thing people <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about this <laughs> doing Facebook Live it was perfect just perfect and you talked about the dis effect yes, yes. I love that tell yes. us about that well you know it's something I had to um, start developing to help my clients identify. Uh, emotions are that they would not talk about. <laughs> and so, and so, however, so people could not tell me if they felt sad or angry or frustrated. So I, so I started saying, okay, do you feel disappointed, discouraged? Do you feel, you know, disrespected, disempowered? And then people are like, yeah, 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 I feel those things. So I start, so I, I made this little template and it gave people a voice that helped me understand what the experience was, but the, the, the impact of the experience on their lives. And, it, and so we just started talking about the diseffect and I started um, having seminars around it because sometimes people can't identify with their feeling. They can tell you mad, glad, and sad. <laughs> well, I find, I've always found that it's always been the men that were, you know, mad, found, and sad, you know, like those are the guys that that's all, that's all they knew. But I was, I'm surprised to hear that the women are like that. Yeah, I think they would say, well, Sharon, I feel, I feel um, unheard. Okay, okay, they might say that. Then I said, okay, well, let me, how does that show up? Because see, I couldn't, I wanted to see it and want them to see it. Mm-hmm. Then they would say, well, I feel like I don't have, a, I feel disempowered at work or, or I feel like my, my mother, I'm in my mother's shadow or I feel whatever. But however, it helped me understand yeah. and say, oh, yeah, I feel this. I feel disappointed. I feel distracted. And it helped us have good conversations. Nice. And so then it was like I would go to my clients and we're like, hey, you know, um, so now it's just something we say, oh, I feel this. And I'll say, okay, which one? <laughs> and then yeah. they would tell me. And it was just a way to be able to, for them to 
see very clever feelings yeah yeah i used to ask people where they felt things and and men especially i felt i felt that they were that they didn't have the lexicon that ladies had uh to describe in minutia how they were feeling or you know they know what's sad and and maybe they know what blue is but they didn't know beyond that (laughs) you know because they didn't use those words like we could sit in a washroom and talk about all that stuff you know ad nauseum but they they don't and and so i always felt that they were lacking you know the book on on feelings (laughs) the words the lexicon on the book revealings right they felt those things they just didn't know what they were you know what is so interesting frankie i think this younger generation i i my my clients that are 30th i think they're starting to struggle too because they're so used to talking in text and email oh my gosh yeah and sometimes um I told them that, you know, uh, emoji is not an emotion for real. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But it's in, that because you use it. And so sometimes I'm finding that um, they don't have the lexicon, lexicon and they struggle to help them uh, to be able to articulate the feeling. They can say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. I feel hurt. So that's why I try to have some type of framework to identify the emotions. Um, but I, I'm starting to find that people, this, especially the, the the ones that grew up in this this fast-paced text, 140 mm-hmm. characters type of environment, are, are not as quick to identify their their emotions, and and I can I can see that their struggle, their struggle because I don't think they have to, Sharon. You know, these are this is a generation that breaks up over text. Like, where is the, where is the the heart in that? Where's the emotion in that? Where's yeah. the the humanity in that? Yeah. Right? Really? If you can just go, eh, you know what? I don't think I like you anymore. See you later. Boom. Bye. I'm going to, and now I can block you. <laughs> you know, so you can't even answer me back. So they don't get closure. Like, I mean, this is what it's come to. Yeah. You can tell that they're struggling too. Yeah. And they're, and they're so lonely. They're, and I, and I, and I tell people, even though you are connected, does not mean that you're close. Um, and so I think that people are electronically connected, but they're not emotionally close. And I've never seen so many people feel alienated and isolated mm-hmm. in the midst of this major uh, connectivity. I've and talked think- about it before on the show, but, you know, I've seen families out to dinner and mom and dad are on cell phones and two-year-olds and 18-month-olds at the table are being ignored. Yeah, yeah. Where's the family in that? Where's the family time, the connection, the communication? Where is that going? When, oh. when every individual has more of a need to be on their phone than to be with a person who's in the room with them. Absolutely. And some people don't even, I'm realizing they don't even know how to be with people. And when I, many times when I do my uh, coaching with couples, um, I, you can see that even in the midst of, of a therapeutic situation, being able to connect uh, in truth, being able to be vulnerable, being able to uh, identify and claim an emotion, that's very difficult. And it's, it's, and it's interesting. I can always tell um where how a person was raised by their ability to or the inability to to welcome those emotions to to communicate those emotions um to be able to sit in it so that they can um process it i see that they i see many times people want to throw their the emotions away and that's why i started talking to them about the difference between a campfire and a bonfire yeah i like that I have to bring all these analogies to help people see see it 
Does that make sense? Very clever. I love that analogy between the campfire and the bonfire. Fire. You know, you've got this campfire where you, you, you can still control everything and you haven't lost, you know, control. The forest isn't going to go on fire yet. But when you have that bonfire and, you know, you, you need hordes of firefighters to come in and, and planes to dump water on it, like you're lost now. Now you've now you really let the beast go. Yes. So it's yes. it's important to to get to the point, you know, to be able to talk before you get to the point of blowing. Absolutely. And, 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 and that, and, and I think with our jobs as coaches, I think what is helpful when we do one-on-one is to give people permission just to be able to honor their emotion and to honor whatever that emotion is without feeling guilty. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be upset. Yes. Your mother is not off limits. You can be, you can be, you know, frustrated to, to give themselves permission because we, we, they, I find many times people won't even give a voice to their feeling. But yeah. you can tell in their body, you know, they have yes. migraines and stomach aches and, and um, you know, all types of indigestion issues. Or you can tell that they're they're not showing up at work and, they, and they're, they're struggling and yeah. they're settling and, and they're miserable. But they cannot say, I hate my job or I hate my profession or I hate my husband yeah. <laughs> or yeah. I made a bad decision. And I think sometimes with coaches like you and I, we just uh, give people permission to say what they really want to say, what they really need to say to start the healing journey. I mean, everybody's afraid of something, you know, whether it's change or, or, or even, even good things. People are afraid of good things. They're afraid of success. They're afraid of failure. And within that fear comes all of that. And when you, you know, I used to have people come in my session, okay, you got two minutes to BMW, it's bitch, moan and whine. And after that, (laughs) After that, then you take accountability for those feelings. You know? I love that. I might have to take that one. You can take that one. On. I love <laughs> that. Wow. That's so true. I love yeah. that. Thank you for that. I'm going to have You're to use welcome. that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how it works, right? Now, we're coming up to the last few minutes of our show. I want to talk about, for you wrote, for all the women over 50, our latter days will be our better days. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And, you know, in a couple more weeks, I hate to say it, but I'm hitting a new decade. And, you know, it, it's given me time to ponder. It's a little scary at, in a way. But I do think that, you know, I haven't stopped creating and we don't stop creating uh, if we don't want to. And, and I have a wonderful role model. I have my dad who was 80 years old and started a new company. So, wow. yeah, I mean, you know, it's fantastic. Um, but, it, you know, I, I guess we all get caught up eventually in in society and, and how society sees us as, you know, older women and, and uh, disposable, maybe. A little yeah. bit, you yeah. know, you, you're not as quote unquote seen as you used to be. Yes. So true. So true. I think that for me, um, I am just, you know, when I first started going through menopause and start seeing the wrinkles and, and start seeing that my body was not responding to exercise, <laughs> like it, be, it really bothered me. But then I started feeling this, this quiet assurance that I had collected enough experiences that I start, I am an expert on Sharon and that I have enough experiences that I know how I need to function in the world and what's my strengths and what sustains me and supports me and satisfies me. And so now as I enter, um, you know, I'll be 52 this year. It's something about that peace that comes that I feel like I don't have to go along to get along. And that is the journey and the love of being Mm -hmm. disabled. 
I felt very powerful in my early 50s. I did. Like, I thought, wow, is hitting 60? That's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing how much change happens in, a, in the course of five years. You know, even at 55, I'm like, nah, it's nothing. But the last five years, boy, it's like, wow, now I see it. I didn't see it at 50. You know, I didn't look different. But now I see it. And now it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're old. And, you know, I mean, we're different, we're different 60 than my, my parents 60, right? Yes. Like, they didn't look like us. They look like old people. But... <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. They bought into it, right? I got to do this and I got to do that. But um, yeah, it, it is different, but those feelings are there. And maybe, maybe they're, they're there our whole lives. And now I'm just dealing with some of it, you know, who knows? But I, I do believe, I do agree with you, though, that we've got, you know, God bless, maybe 20, 30 years to live forward. And we're going to do it brilliantly. We have to. I think so. And the world needs us. I think mm -hmm. we're at this place in our life that we can share with the world because we have wisdom. We have love. We have patience. I think at our age, 50 and 60, we are best suited because just think the kids have the gadgets and we have the guts. We need each other. Yeah. And I, so I, 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 I try to make sure I can always learn from people, but I always want to pour into people because you and I are, are the people that, that we are charged with, with training the generation behind us. And what a wonderful uh, responsibility. Yes. But what a privilege, I think. For you I and I to gain so much that we can give back to the world. Because if we don't give it back, they don't they won't have the skills or the modeling to be their best self. So I'm excited. So true. Ladies and gentlemen, Sharon Jameson, the wisdom of the wonderful Sharon Jameson, www.sharonjameson.com. <laughs> Please go to her website and visit her. This has been another Mission Unstoppable Radio. Your host, Frankie Picasso, signing out now. But thank you so very much for joining me each and every week. And thank you, Sharon, so much for being my guest today. You're I'm amazing. So grateful. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Everybody, peace out. Stop. When the chips were down, they didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.